1: Welcome to episode 111 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional duo to musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. And joining us this evening, he is the founder of Mad Science Films, or one of them at least, and also the director of such films as Curb Crawlers* and Little Monster. Finally, it's James Plum. James, good evening.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen.
1: James, how are things in the wider world? How are you?
2: Yeah, okay, okay. So, I mean, obviously the the original reason that this was delayed with the, us kind of teaming up was the birth of my son. So uh, he was a little bit earlier than he was supposed to be, hence, you know, the, the delay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, dealing with a newborn under lockdown, that's been interesting.
1: Yeah, I'll bet interesting is a word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, huge congratulations, and everyone doing well?
2: Uh, yeah, 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 all doing well. I mean, you know, we're going slightly crazy, and um, it's my third time round, so... What's kind of good is I re- just about remember enough of it, but the last time I did it, I was about seven years younger. So the lack of sleep is catching up to me now. I've just turned 40 as well, so that that's kind of brutal. Um, okay, okay. When I did it last time around, you know, I was a lot younger and I could bounce back quicker. Are you feeling it in your bones? <laughs> yeah, I, I, all over. Bones, muscles, <laughs> cartilage, you name it.
1: As for film choices, you've taken us back to 1988 <clears throat> for Dead Heat you're welcome (laughs) yeah thanks for that um you (laughs) did not deliberate very long on this um why this one
2: you know it goes back to like the idea of your show which is kind of like one of the ones that you know i kind of fell in love with as a kid and hadn't heard from for years and years and years and then it turned up on prime video recently Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. around about the same time that you guys kind of approached me and i was just like perfect you know really good little match gave me yet another excuse to kind of re-watch it because it probably been about 20 years since i'd last seen it and yeah i was glad that for me what i loved about it originally kind of stood up and there was a few extra things that i got out of it this time around okay cool <laughs> um i'm guessing maybe you didn't didn't get me
1: um, we can get to that. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I would say my response is more mixed than yours, put it that way. Sure, sure. Um, Andy, what about you? Uh, had you seen this before? How many times had you seen this before? Had it been a while?
0: I had seen it before. I'd seen it a couple of times. Uh, it was one, uh, again, it was a, a kind of video shot favourite. Um, it'd been a long time since I'd seen it, much the same as James. And then I'd picked up the 88 Films Blu-ray when it came out, actually off the back of when we had Howard Gorman
1: on, who kind of reminded us about this film yeah this came up in the conversation about death spy i can't remember how
0: <laughs> that's the perfect conversation for this to come up in but uh, i remember how it came around but we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get to it kind of not long after we did that 88 films announced that they were released not on blu-ray and uh, i snapped up at that time and uh yeah you're right it's available on prime now so uh it's definitely there
2: i think is it on uk Shudder or just us Shudder? you know when the uh, was doing that weird thing where they were allowing you to access the us one
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good days good days
2: I definitely saw it turn up on that but I'm not sure whether it, it was also on the UK one as well so might be worth checking out that if you haven't got Prime
0: that oh, was the cool day man. that Mitch had uh, multiple tabs open on his browser to <laughs> yeah. ensure that he could load up everything and watch it in case they yeah. kind of closed that. Thanks for that, like, Mitch. That's
2: exactly off. what I did as well. So, uh, yeah, I got to catch uh, <laughs> Scream Queens, which was a lot of fun, and, and a bunch of other ones which I wouldn't have seen otherwise.
1: Yeah, I was just like, this is absolute lightning in a bottle. I just, like, frantically, furiously <laughs> opened up a bunch of tabs and just let them all run and buffer and stuff in the background <laughs> while I just yeah. went about my day. I was so
2: sad when they they obviously twigged to it as well. So Yeah, it was at the start of the weekend as well, so that helped. So. Yeah, that's so, pretty like, sweet,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Mitch. Yes. Let me ask you about your exposure then. How long ago was it since you saw a Dead Heat prior to this?
1: Um, I sat down to watch this for the first time at 5.30 this evening. So
2: Wonderful. lucky. So lucky.
1: Um, yeah, it's always interesting for me to watch films that people have picked kind of from a nostalgia or a childhood thing and watching them without being able to have that kind of lens or that kind of filter.
2: Yeah. Should, like, on- I think I can guess what one of the things maybe you didn't get on with or should I say one of the people maybe you didn't get on with? So.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> could, could you locate most of your problems with it located in one person?
1: Um, I would say that they're fanned out over a couple of people, but I think Ooh, I know the person okay. you mean. Um, <laughs> James, you have listened before, I believe. I would imagine that you know what's coming next. Andy, do we have 30 seconds on the clock? By God, we do. Mm-hmm. James, I'm going to count you in. And for the benefit of anyone who is flying blind and listening without having watched Dead Heat, are you prepared to give us your best 30 second synopsis? I am, yes. Okay, three, two, one, go.
2: Treat Williams is a zombie cop who sets out to solve his own murder. That'll do. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> it's, it's either that, or I try to go really deep into explaining the plots, which I'm not even sure the director or the scriptwriter really understand what, what the complicated plot is. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna stick with that.
1: To be honest, there's not a massive amount more to it than that, without getting bogged down in how he comes back and things like that. And uh, no, I think that brevity was the watchword there. And yeah, I think I did you some favors.
0: I think it's important to mention the director at this juncture because it's directed by Mark Goldblatt, who hasn't got many other directorial credits except for the Dolph Lundgren starring Punisher film from the late 80s.
2: The second best Um, Punisher film, yeah.
0: Uh, His editing CV is spectacular. It includes titles such as Terminator 2, Predator 2, Nightbreed Commando, Halloween 2, The Howling, and Mitch, most importantly, perhaps Armageddon.
1: Oh, God. Right, okay. Mm (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's said the better on that one. I think that we should just jump into this and we do kick off with kind of like uh, vast cityscapes and a very dramatic score that doesn't let up pretty much all the way through. Yeah,
2: pure 80s action, isn't it? And I I was kind of reading it as taking the mick out of that a bit and and that Mm. kind of becomes evident as you go through. It kind of starts, you've got like the New World Pictures logo pops up and you know you're kind of in for a good time when it's the late 80s Roger Corman world. And yeah, as you say, it doesn't kind of let up from that then. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. I enjoyed it. And then you've got the jewellery store robbery with two guys in gimp masks, which I thought was an interesting choice.
1: Yeah. Uh, you, know, uh-huh.
2: you mentioned curb crawlers. I had to, or I didn't have to, I chose to because I wrote it, but I wrote a character <laughs> in a gimp mask. So having had to order gimp masks off Amazon, I know that they would have been getting, you know, some interesting mail or email or, well, I suppose it would have been mail back then, recommendations. Um, yeah. Having ordered gimp masks in the past.
1: Oh yeah. I've got uh-huh.
0: those written as executioners' masks. Oh. Uh,
2: Oh, okay yeah okay that makes more sense i guess just you know my own internet porn preferences showing
1: <laughs> it's pretty weird andy that of the three of us you're the one that's defaulted to the most wholesome suggestion <laughs> <laughs> You don't see that every day. Um, Yeah, as you say, this does pretty much open on a jewellery robbery, which I tried to, like, I'm scribbling when I was writing this down, and instead of writing a jewellery robbery, I wrote a jewellery robbery, which I suppose is also true.
2: Mm, Sure, Mm. I've written it as heist. It's not really heist. There's no planning involved, is there? I mean, you know, heist is Ocean's Eleven kind of stuff. uh, Maybe, (laughs) I mean, it it seems to be the polar opposite of a heist in terms of, you know, what do they call them, the cash and grab uh, robbers or something? The the cash
1: and grab gang. The cash and dash gang.
2: Cash and Dash, yeah.
1: Thank you, bitch. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Again, I I love all of this stuff like when they're actually in the jewellery store and it it feels very much like that kind of B-movie picture in terms of they're really working with the dialogue. You know, you get the woman come out and go, what are you doing? And you've got the guy who's actually Schwarzenegger's stunt double kind of go we're just looking it's that kind of just like you know they completely like loads it with just gags and everything really well you know what would normally be just disposable people who'd be you know shot to pieces by this point
0: yeah did you notice the woman who's been shown the piece of brazilian jewelry yeah doesn't like it and she suggests that perhaps what she's looking for is something a bit more suspenseful <laughs> yeah
2: that was pretty forced yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so obstructive to a salesperson you're like what, what, what do you mean? What, what the hell does that mean?
1: The adjective you have chosen, madam, is useless. I think that's that's <laughs>
2: something a script writer
1: would put in, assuming that
2: the director would take it out. But I think Mark Goldblatt just kind of just loved the script too much that he was like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll keep all of that stuff in.
1: They do cram a lot of words into this scene, don't they? yeah. <laughs> Considering it's
2: meant to be just a shootout, and um, yeah, really only establishing the setup for the rest of the film. Yeah, they they pack a lot in.
1: Yeah, and speaking of uh, setting up the rest of the film, in the middle of all of the chaos and this kind of melee, the panic button's alerted, and so are Roger Mortis. And Doug
2: Bigelow. Mm. Yep. Uh I've got to be honest, you know, thanks to the 90s, I hear Doug Bigelow and I hear Deuce Bigelow now. So Rob Snyder's kind of ruined that for me slightly. But yeah, and and Roger Mortis, which again, that's the kind of thing that would look good on the page for the first draft for about the first 10 pages, but then you'd change the character name. But again, they kept it in and they kept it straight through to the film. So yeah, Roger Mortis. Yeah, Yeah, and and, uh, an incredibly on-the-nose name. Yeah, (laughs) which again, they don't really kind of make a gag of. And I'm kind of glad for that, but you'd kind of think alright get rid of it or maybe have it rod Lean or something else it. and then make it a pun or something like that it, it was a weird choice to just say yes that is what our main character is called but played by Treat Williams who I definitely know he's been on previously in terms of Deep Rising you guys have had has, has he featured uh-huh. in you know, any other films you, you guys have done so far? I'm Ooh. slightly behind
0: well if you've only just listened to Deep Rising you're considerably behind No, oh, not a <laughs> episodes
1: That's but I am fairly certain that we have done another of his but I can't put my finger on it right now and uh, yeah Doug Bigelow here played by uh Joe Piscopo.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. What do we we think, Mitch, of the performances we have here from Williams and Piscopo?
1: I kind of find it quite hard to get a read on what they're going for versus what you get. Because I think that there's obviously supposed to be a kind of like odd couple vibe to it, and I feel like they're both leaning into the ridiculousness of that in different ways. Mm -hmm. Mm. i probably prefer Treat Williams' performance, but they're very difficult to compare.
2: I don't think there's anybody who's going to come out of seeing Dead Heat and go, you know what, Joe Piscopo stole that show.
1: Strongest link Uh, in the chain
2: yeah nah. i mean treat williams is, is treat williams and he's he's kind of like one of those undiscovered gems really you know he's like in deep rising he is a movie star trapped in the wrong decade you know he's he's, he's got those kind of classical good guy leading man looks and in this, like, for me, he does some amazing delivery of lines and he, like, subverts the whole action hero kind of stuff going on by playing it completely straight in certain bits and then other bits being, like, the nicest guy as he's shooting people, you know, blowing people up and everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you've got Joe Piscopo, who... Do you know what's weird about... When 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 he's actually, like, asked to do some, like, acting later on, he's actually quite good. But the rest of the time, he, I, I think he's just like, you know what, can I fit in some one-liners here? And he just loads the film with one-liners and that really is my only problem with the film is like you know they they should have cut more piscopo and his one-liners out Mm. and they haven't aged well (laughs) like Uh, none
1: of his jokes have aged well yeah Um, almost without exception they aged pretty badly Yeah. yeah but uh yeah no i think that i agree with you in terms of like i think that one of the elements that i think when it kind of falls down is there is an unbelievable amount of shit thrown at the wall yeah um in terms of in terms of one-liners and the hit rate is just absolutely staggeringly low
2: i'd agree with you when it comes to piscopo i think when treat williams does it and again he kind of subverts it by doing this nice guy kind of charm and everything like when he's brought back from the dead and then later on other things happen he, he plays it so upbeat and so chipper even you know say he's decomposing or whatever that it kind of works like that technique of, of, of playing it really kind of works for me and like keeps me with it but yeah I, i'm not here to defend piscopo <laughs>
1: No, I don't think any of us are. (laughs) But yeah, they're called to the scene. And I must admit, like, this kind of goes off the rails for me eventually. But the shootout at the start is just so unbelievably hilariously, like, over the top and preposterous that Mm. it's very difficult not to just kind of sit back and enjoy it.
2: It's kind of Looney Tunes cartoon, isn't it? You know, it's so big. And you've got, like, Robert Picardo there as, like, the lieutenant or, or whatever, you know, and he's...
0: Sporting a great moustache. Oh,
2: fantastic. And again, I mean, I'm guessing that's kind of the Joe Dante, the howling connection is how Mark Goldblatt got him. But he, mm, yeah. he early on kind of stands out as, you know, this uptight police guy. And again, it plays great with, you know, Treat Williams, you know, borrowing his car and then, you know, smashing it and, and, you know, blowing him up. It's a nice way of setting it up really quickly in terms of, you know, the, the robbers come out of, you know, the jewellery store and, you know, they're blown to pieces and you'd expect that to be the end, but no course you know they're still standing and it goes to yeah cartoon levels of violence i mean this is the same year red heat came out you know whether that's mm. why dead heat is called dead heat or not I, I don't know. but <laughs> um you know it's it's that level of you know kind of action movie nonsense which later on becomes even more obvious that they're you know they're taking the nick out of it i, I wouldn't say it's that obvious early on but it becomes more and more obvious as you go on
0: sure when that guy gets blown up with a hand grenade uh, yeah. i love his comedy uh-oh
2: <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Hey. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, again, but that, that feels like Roger Corman, B-movie, you know, we haven't got the budget to do the helicopter shots, so we'll just pack in, you know, loads of visual gags, loads of line gags in there as well. And I think, you know, it's that era, starting with like Death Race 2000, where, you mm. know, they've got a good concept and they're just going to jam in as many good lines as they can. And it kind of goes straight through to like the early 90s then, whereas, you know, they know what their strengths are and they had a, a good script and, you know, Mark Goldback was so faithful to the script, perhaps too faithful to the script. <laughs> but you know, it, it makes it slightly more interesting and makes it more fun than yeah, just the guy exploding, you know, if they can fit in the line of uh oh. It's kind of like when, you know, Willem Dafoe gets when he's playing Green Goblin in Spider Man and he gets the, the glider, you know, into him. Sam Raimi Not managed sure. to fit in the shot of going, oh, you know, before he gets blown up as well. It's that kind of commitment to just fitting in a gag wherever you can fit one in.
1: Absolutely. Um, and But it is interesting I think, like you say, because like, this does go really cartoonish in a way that I don't think that it revisits particularly.
2: Oh, I'll tell you later on, but we'll, we'll get to that later on.
1: I don't think it goes off the deep end quite in the same way as this again. Uh, I, I
2: respectfully disagree, but I'll go okay. back to you. <laughs> okay, you can,
1: ref- you can refresh my memory on um, which bit you think rivals in terms of ridiculousness. One undead robber getting blown up by a grenade and another one having a car driven into him. Do you want that now? no i want you to flag it up when it comes up okay i think it's really funny after this when it cuts to when they're kind of getting disciplined for this and (laughs) the kind of chief has got this laundry list of grievances
0: the litany of misdemeanors includes uh all sorts of outrageous things but weirdly delivers the fact that they've got 18 parking tickets this month (laughs) in the same manner as you might kind of levy accusations of multiple murder against them
2: what what i like and they don't really play it up enough is that actually treat williams is the guy that's kind of off the rails. because he's in a suit from the beginning of the film he's the guy who's actually most irresponsible i mean joe piscopo unfortunately you know his mouth keeps running but otherwise like it's treat williams owning up to all of this stuff and they kind of play with that slightly later on but they never make a big enough deal of it the fact that Mm. you know like there's that weird line of dialogue where he's going oh why are you undercover i thought i should have been dressed in, in a suit today and they could have done more with that, so I I don't know. That was kind of like a a thread that they never kind of picked up.
1: Which is a shame, because it does kind of hint at something that would have been quite a good kind of subversion.
2: I guess, but then at the same time, you know, if they kept it that Treat Williams was the straight-laced guy, then that would have been more of a character journey by the end of it when he kind of goes fully off the rails, if you see. So it's a weird one that's neither one thing or the other. I suppose that's true, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. The police chief scene, that's, that's one of the ones as well. You kind of watch and you're like, considering Mark Goldblatt is better known as an editor, you kind of go did you really need that scene in there? I mean, it is just, yeah, obligatory police captain shouting at, at
0: them. These guys would be out in their fucking arse by now because yeah. we learned that as well that they're already on two probations and this is definitely 100% the last chance and then two seconds later, he's, li- he's like, but damn, you guys get results. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So, again, I can only assume it was kind of Mark Goldblatt, you know, just wanted to do one of those scenes and so kept it in, you know. This was before Punisher, wasn't it? Yeah, Punisher was two years later. So, I can only assume, you know, as a a kind of like a first feature director, it's like, oh, you know, I might not get a chance to do another one of these. So, let's do the angry police chief captain. So, yeah, throw everything in.
1: Mm -hmm. My favorite item on the list of grievances is flippant remarks. Yeah, (laughs) okay, which is
2: the only one that Joe Piscopo is guilty of. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And again, in the context of the film, it's definitely the worst of the charges. So yeah, sure. <laughs>
1: But yeah, as we mentioned earlier, they are trying to stop the Cash and Dash gang. Uh, robbers who hunt in packs, often in broad daylight, with wild disregard for their own safety and also apparently impervious to gunfire.
2: Yeah. In this one, this is the when they go back to their office and yeah, Joe Piscopo's wearing that tight, tight T-shirt. Doing a bit of research, this was when he was in his bodybuilding phase. And, you know, it reminds me of when I was 19 and instead of actually doing things like working out or whatever i just decided to wear t-shirts that were too small for me um and it, surprisingly it worked you know people did people did think i was working out and it was like yeah sure
0: yeah pesky is incredibly cute to show off his muscles here
2: yeah and, and surprisingly you know even later on in the film where there would be opportunities for him to have his top off doesn't quite go that far so you know I, obviously he wasn't quite at the level he wanted to be yet
1: right <laughs> at this point enter rebecca mm,
0: yeah
2: yeah rebecca, rebecca smithers, smithers yeah yeah. Can I just jump back to the bit where they're blaming everything on PCP?
0: Oh, that's
2: right. Oh, that's that such an 80s thing. I mean, I remember when I was far far too young my mum let me watch uh, Terminator and there's the bit where Lance Henriksen's blaming, you know, the terminator's behavior on PCP. And then again, probably only about a year later I saw this and it was like the best drug in the world. So like, you know, little Jimmy here couldn't wait to grow up and try some PCP because I mean, imagine how amazing that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Turning into a robot.
2: Yeah, just miracle drug that, you know, you can be thrown through windows and be shot a million times and and get up and, yeah, walk away from it.
1: Yeah, totally fine. But, um, yeah, Rebecca comes in, serving up a hot take. She confirms that the robbers are undead.
0: Well, she phones them and tells them to get to the morgue as fast as humanly possible, and I think if you get a call like that to attend a morgue, you know that something pretty heavy's going down. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, what I, I loved about this is they were kind of hinting about, like, a past relationship with Treat Williams. Yeah. And again, you're kind of mm, thinking, yeah. oh, okay, they're going to they're gonna do more with this. And they do a bit, but, it, I mean, this is where it kind of goes into, like, almost, like, film noir territory. And then later on, when they introduce, oh, the PR manager, Randy, you know, they have this, like, bizarre love triangle kind of thing over Treat Williams, who, you know, who, who can blame them. Um, <laughs> but... It's nicely played in terms of, well, she's got a line, like, you know, oh, my phone works, but you use a dead body as an excuse to find out how I'm doing. Yeah. It, 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 again, it, it's trying to go for that 40s kind of almost screwball comedy film noir kind of like banter between the two of them and almost as successful.
1: Yeah, I've got no particular problem with how the dynamic between these two plays out, really. Do you not think it's just a, a touch oblique? Yeah, no, I'll go with that. Well, as in like you kind of feel like it's, it's weird that it's alluded to to this extent and then not really examined in any significant way after this
0: i mean the only other moment where it might be a thing is like when she's dead in the ambulance and he's like oh i thought we would end up together
2: yeah they they set that up early on so that when later on he finds her dead and obviously a bunch of other characters spoilers are also dead it's like him at his lowest which again is going back to that film noir kind of thing where you know if he just left well enough alone all those other characters wouldn't be dead you know he'd be dead but nobody else would be dead at this point, and it's him, you know, doing this investigation has led to everybody he knows being killed, and only some of them being brought back to life. So,
1: at this point, Rebecca also uh, points out there's one more important shred of info here, apart from the fact that she has seen these people before because they have once previously been dead.
2: Yeah, I uh, never
1: forget a body. Yeah. <laughs> they have a trace of um, a drug in their system. Go on, <laughs> sulphathiazole. Wow. Sulfathiazol. There we go. I would think I, I loved an extra syllable in there, didn't I? But yeah, <laughs> this has recently been bought in bulk by the very innocuously named Dante Pharmaceuticals. Again, yeah, which there's got to yeah. be a
2: love letter to Joe Dante, surely.
0: I just want to quickly touch on the uh, another moment that's aged quite badly, and that's uh, the arrival of Darren McGavin as uh, Dr. Ernest McNabb, the, yeah. the body doc,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, when
0: he pretty much saunters into the, the morgue and basically just tells Rebecca that she's absolutely shite at her
2: job oh yeah and then when she leaves the room also like says to the two cops she'll be good in about 10 years time it's like (laughs) ow it's like harsh
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I remember thinking it was thinking of like I was just like Jesus Christ, man. Honestly, it's like she's a forensic pathologist or something.
2: Yeah, then again, <laughs> not entirely surprising in the '80s that maybe a character would come out with something like that, though.
1: Also, in the real world, if you know, if you went if you went to a morgue and the person down there was like, uh, "Oh, my theory is that these are zombie criminals," you'd be like, "Can I see your certificate again?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: Also, is it common for uh, coroners to keep a pocket full of rather graphic dead body Polaroids?
2: I mean, again, I, I assume that's just, you know, part of her kick. You know, again, I never yeah. forget the body. Because they're in your pocket?
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's just, it's just because of all the prompts I carry around. <laughs> so they head straight to Dante Pharmaceuticals. And as you said, James, they do encounter their PR person, innocent victim, Randy James.
2: Randy James. They also meet the, um, uh, the receptionist who is amazing in terms of I mean again this this is the difference between the 80s and and nowadays I mean I I may have while in work looked at some you know pornography but it was on a computer screen Mm -hmm. hidden away I didn't have a magazine out on display on reception so again different times I think
1: yeah yeah it was just what you did back then (laughs) um she has mentioned she mentions that they do use this drug considering right they don't have a massive amount to go on at this point i think that and she is very much kind of like an innocent bystander in this conversation it is amazing how little provocation joe piscopo needs to just pull out these extremely graphic crime scene photos and just be like yeah but what about these Yeah, again joe piscopo
2: (laughs) i think isn't in the first like exchange isn't his like first line with her is yeah what do you know about zombies as well so yeah, yeah subtlety is not his uh strong point.
1: No I would say that that's probably a fair assessment in all honesty. Can
0: can I talk for a second about the asphyxiation room? Oh you mean Chekhov's asphyxiation room? Yes. (laughs) The the very (laughs) same gym. Yeah Yeah, it's it's very large for, if if its sole purpose is to kill small dogs in cages it's an incredibly large room that faces out onto a corridor.
2: I mean it's an interesting placement, isn't it? Isn't it right by the reception as well? So you know yeah, right by reception and right next to the room that houses apparently toxic waste. There you go. Flip through some copies of Vogue and watch some puppies being yeah. Destroyed. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. um Also, like, I mean, the way that, it, not to jump ahead too far, but obviously, the way that Treat Williams dies, like, I refuse to believe that that's the first time that's happened. Not under <laughs> those exact circumstances, but I think that somebody getting accidentally locked in there seems like an incredibly probable outcome because it is just, like, slapdash in the middle of a main kind of thoroughfare.
2: I mean, yeah. again, to jump forward, if your main boss is Vincent Price, suspicious stuff's gonna happen
1: sure yeah I hear that she kind of tries to nudge Joe Piscopo away from this room that he's curious about Mm. yeah yeah. the big sign (laughs) but ultimately he kind of sneaks back um he goes in there and he is in for a rude awakening because he is attacked by what appears to be a horribly disfigured version of fat bastard from Austin Powers 2
2: I was going with Harry Knowles but sure yeah <laughs>
1: yes definitely Harry Knowles <laughs> Harry Knowles from
2: Ain't It Cool yeah fine. <laughs> it was like what if Harry Knowles had a cameo in like Big Trouble in Little China or something like that you know fat, yeah, fat hairy biker yeah, okay.
0: guy so yeah what if Harry Knowles found his more handsome brother
1: <laughs> wow wow <laughs> cheap shot wow jesus also it was at this point that i noticed that like joe piscopo looks absolutely wired in every scene mm. yes. like very intense very darty eyes say
0: what, what, are, you suggesting? what are you trying to suggest <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what presented without comment just seems a little bit twitchy is all it was
2: the 80s okay. yeah <laughs>
1: look yeah. james you can't just say that for everything okay
0: <laughs> he's a former saturday night live uh, guy in the early 80s so uh, you might be you might not be too far off the the, the mark there
2: much be your prediction
0: mm.
1: uh, this all kicks off incredibly quickly
2: rogers death i mean is done really well in terms of like it's got the ticking clock thing with the countdown in terms of you know the percentage mm-hmm. going down and down and down decompression or whatever like that
0: <laughs> which is horrible because you get to physically watch how long these little puppies have got to go before <laughs> they're dead
2: I love the fact that they cut to a puppy outside watching Treat Williams, you know, this is going to happen to you next puppy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty full on that the death room has such a big viewing window in the door.
2: I mean, that's what I'm saying. If you're going to pay for a death room that's that elaborate, you might want to, you know, take some popcorn along.
1: Mm -hmm. And just station it right next to reception. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not even got like a courtesy curtain like a crematorium or like you see on death row.
1: No, it's pretty unflinching.
0: (laughs) It should be confrontational.
1: (laughs) But yeah, a struggle ensues and basically um, having to subdue this kind of big, overgrown, disfigured guy means that Joe Piscopo can't rescue Treat Williams and he dies. Mm. Um, Or at least he kind of immediately seems to be haunted by guilt of things that he could have done better. But I think that he's probably being a little hard on himself there.
2: <laughs> Again, this is the bit where he's actually doing a bit of acting and the bit where he's, you know, actually genuinely bummed out and then Smithers turns up. Like that's actually almost good. It's like just play it at that level for the rest of the film, Joe, and and things <laughs> will be fine. But he can't help himself. I'm sure, like, if it was a more experienced director, they would have tried to dial him down slightly. And again, at this time, I'm guessing... Because, I mean, Saturday Night Live never really got big over here in the 80s, so Joe Piscopo probably was more the lead guy than Treat Williams in this film, which seems mad, but I'm, I'm guessing... You know, if you're the lead guy on Saturday Night Live for a few years, you've got a big audience in America.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously he's bereft, his friend and colleague's dead. Uh, but he says something along the lines of, uh, he died how dogs are supposed to die.
1: Bear's <laughs> 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 mentioning at this point, for the benefit of people who are listening to this without having seen the film that the disfigured guy, the giant guy who attacked Joe Piscopo, has been brought back to life by means of a resurrection machine.
0: Mm-hmm. There you go, yeah, sure.
1: Um, which is stored in this uh, in the secret room in Dante Pharmaceuticals. Rebecca shows up at the scene, as you said, James, and immediately figures out the science behind this machine. Like, instantly.
2: I, I mean, it's MS-DOS, so, I mean, how hard yeah. can it be?
0: You know? <laughs> she literally types his name in and what he died of, and then he
2: comes back to life. Yeah. Uh, was it position body on the machine i mean you know how much more instructions do you need
1: <laughs> yeah i suppose so and sure enough uh, they put him on the on the resurrection table if you like the resurrection deck mm-hmm. and he is back and on the face of it absolutely fine
2: i i love his return it's such like a big build-up so you know you've got all the dramatic lights and the you know the special effects go in the music builds or whatever and his first line is hi guys it's yeah. you know again mm. completely undercutting the dramatic moment by you know doing that 40s movie star kind of, you know, entrance instead.
0: They've seen what happens by this point. Why the fuck would they do this?
2: <laughs> Bearing in mind, obviously, the fat biker guy has like three faces in one. Although, I mean, the two guys in gimp masks looked, I mean, they were wearing gimp masks, so it was hard to tell, but they looked relatively normal, so... Yeah,
1: I don't know. I think that like I think that, that would be quite a tricky one. I mean, basically, it was just like, if you've just been attacked by that thing and had to kill it, And you know that that's a possible outcome but the other alternative is resurrecting your pal i think that i would struggle with the whole oh let's bring him back versus man should definitely not play god because i have seen some things
2: joe actually raises that point and then she says well i hope you shoot him in the head which again is putting a lot of pressure on joe
1: that's right actually that's fair that's fair mitch
0: if we're ever in this position leave me dead
1: (laughs) okay same i would say (laughs) Um, yeah, he comes back and recounts this kind of, uh, this this very standard issue, stay away from the light story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rebecca points out via her stethoscope that uh, he has no heartbeat, um, at which point he disregards the opinion of the medically qualified woman and checks himself. It was the 80s. Stop it! <laughs>
2: no, because it's going to work so <laughs> many really times.
1: At that point, he checks uh, using the stethoscope as well. Again, uh, there's no heartbeat and his conclusion is that the stethoscope is broken because that's definitely a thing that can happen. <laughs>
0: Also, uh, McNabb comes in to just triple check that he's in fact dead.
2: Mm -hmm. Considering what's revealed later on, he's sketchy and disbelieving. But if you watch it again, then again, Mitch, I'm I'm sure you will. When you watch it
1: a second time. (laughs) As soon as as we're done recording, yep.
2: Of course, yeah. I mean, if you watch it again and you know what he knows later on, then there is kind of like more of a reading to how he plays it as well, which is quite fun. Mm,
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I'm willing to believe that.
2: yeah you think i'm giving it too much credit no i'm willing to take your
1: word for it and never watch it again (laughs) again (laughs) wow (laughs) what i
0: love here is that uh piscopo decides that he's kind of dealing with his his friend and his friend's back he's a bit confused he's just learned he's dead but then piscopo decides that he's going to dispense some advice on dealing with coming back as a reanimated corpse
1: Mm -hmm. yeah which is interesting really isn't
2: it yeah is he the man for that I mean, there's only a limited number of characters, so I, I guess it's got to be him.
1: But uh, it does bear mentioning that um, we also find out again, um, the dots are connected pretty quickly on this, but Rebecca has sussed out that um, after 10 or 12 hours, he will not be fine at all anymore, will treat Williams. He will decay and kind of devolve into a sort of primordial stew. Yep,
2: that's, that's, the, that's the ticking clock you can hear.
0: She knows everything, but yet we've seen nothing of her... Doing anything in the way of figuring stuff out, she just knows it all. She's literally, much to, to borrow from you, she's an exposition vessel.
2: Yes, I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna say you know maybe she played around with you know the BBC microcomputer and then it kind of said you know caution ten to twelve hours.
0: Yeah, just came out on one of those old printers that goes. Dot
2: matrix, matrix printers. But yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, it's, it's just a good lead up for Treat Williams to give the line, I'm dead, Rebecca, how much worse can it get? You know, so. <laughs> ah, sure.
1: Yeah, you know, James, now you've said it, you are right. Like, I think that like Joe Piscopo's one liners are almost uniformly dreadful. Where I, and I think that Treat Williams ones probably land slightly more frequently
2: he's playing to his own strengths i mean mm. tree williams might not be the most versatile actor but he knows what he's good at Ah, uh-huh, sure um this is probably one of the most like kind of surreal characters he's had to play so he sure, knows yeah. you know he's probably got like a narrow window that he can actually deliver those lines and, and win the audience over and for me at least yeah it's successful you know i'm, I'm along for the the treat williams ride
0: do you suppose there was any rope given to mr snl piscopo to just come up with his own stuff
2: yeah i think i think 90 percent of it is his own stuff to be honest earlier on you see when they come out of the the police captain's office and they walk past and there's a nun and he's i reckon you know he walked past he's like right there's a there's a character dressed as a nun okay i'm gonna fit in a line here which is you know like oh call me on thursday or whatever like that it's just relentless and i think it, you know again maybe to the substances he was abusing at the time anything would be a setup for a gag and maybe you know mark goldblatt as a also an editor should have been a bit more brutal in the edit but again maybe you know if the selling point was joe piscopo america in the 80s maybe was lapping this stuff up who who knows
0: Mm -hmm. yeah up next mitch is a scene with a lipstick which is fucking hilarious (laughs)
1: Uh uh-huh yeah he's putting lipstick on himself to mask the fact he's dead
0: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah his pallor is beginning to take on the tone of a dead man
2: but it's it, like at first, it's really for me anyway. W- w- watching it on on a relatively big size TV, it, it felt re- it was quite subtle. Right. I was like, okay, what's the what's the problem? You know, he hadn't decomposed enough for it to be really obvious. So yeah, he's he's looking a bit pale, enough to put lipstick on, sure, okay. But again, I think it's just kind of trying to take the mick out of like action movies. You know, can you imagine Arnold or you know Sylvester or Bruce, those guys wearing makeup? You know, not until later on in kindergarten cop era maybe
1: yeah I was, um, I, I was gonna i was gonna say it wasn't the 90s yet
2: yeah i i i, I give it points for that and again treat williams doing it
1: mm-hmm, yeah yeah but the mission at this point is revenge treat williams wants to <laughs> find and bring to justice the people who killed him and the first step in this is going and talking once again to uh randy james pr mogul of dante pharmaceuticals so they go to her house and uh they go inside and there's something that i, wrote down I thought it was really funny like they started talking to her and um obviously joe Piscopo is being kind of like more curt and kind of more aggressive and like treat williams being a little bit more gentle with her and, stuff. and she goes oh i see you're the tough cop and your partner is the nice cop it's like yeah the classic tough cop nice cop routine <laughs> <laughs>
2: Maybe it was trademark. Maybe there was a you know, the film was coming out, Good Cop, Bad Cop, so they couldn't quite touch it that year.
1: It's change, change it just enough so we don't get sued. Yeah. Do they have a warrant to start rummaging around your house quite so invasively here?
2: I think it's probably best have... not not to look at things like warrants or, or police hmm. procedures in a movie called Dead Heat.
1: No, I'm a massive stickler for our bureaucracy. Um, uh, this takes <laughs> me out of it completely.
0: Uh, they don't have any warrants famously because there's a moment later where they're just ransacking somewhere and Randy says this might have been better handled if you had that warrant.
2: Later on when they uh, go to the tombs she again asks if he's got a warrant. Like she hasn't learned. like even the third time round and he he pulls out a gun and and fires the lock off the tomb he's like yep here's my warrant so
0: he's right though because there's a moment where um, he says something like or someone says to him rather what have you got to lose and he's like oh yeah yeah, fair enough (laughs) Yep. So you can kind of get away with anything at that point. Oh.
2: Effectively, it was the film noir DOA, but with zombies. So, and again, it's that kind of thing. Has got a ticking clock here. I've got to try solve my own murder before I die again. Yeah. So nothing's going to stop me, including sorry, Mitch, police procedures. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they had to. Like something had to give. Yeah. Get yeah. your blood boiling, then, Mitch. <laughs> Look, have all the shootouts and explosions you want, but also, you know, process optimization, red yep. tape. Montage. <laughs> like...
0: Films need more red tape, for sure.
1: Joe Piscopo puts a video in that he just finds, and um, what they start watching is an intensely personal video of presumably Randy's dead relative. We obviously come to find out quite a bit more about that as we go on. But in the middle of this, uh, a couple of regenerated Nerdwell do well zombies arrive.
2: Yeah, the uh, zombie thugs in 80s fashion. It's fantastic.
1: Very much so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I quite enjoyed this. I find that there's a couple of times where it's like obviously played for laughs that it kind of works for me. But I mm. think that like people are so used to killing each other in shootouts in those sequences or that's what you're so used to seeing in films. But then everybody's impervious to gunfire, but everybody still tries it.
2: I mean, it's fantastic. And again, I'd love to see, I mean, you guys are more knowledgeable about this, but I'd love to see a film where there's, you know, like two zombies or two vampires like fighting it out. And because they know they won't kill them, they just absolutely go for it. You know, absolutely brutally. Whereas, you know, normally you might pull your punch because you're worried about hurting yourself. So, you know, doing something like, like this when, yeah, there's these ridiculous shootouts and they're carrying on. But they, they make a joke of it as well. So I can't remember. Is it Joe or is it Treat Williams that says, remember when guns kill people? Yeah. Um, and yeah. then the other one goes, you're just jealous. So, again, you know, they're absolutely playing it up. And they are really inventive with it, like later on when the shootout moves outside and Treat Williams is hiding underwater for like over five minutes or whatever. You know, it's a great concept. It's ruined by a terrible Joe Piscopo joke, which, again, ages very poorly.
1: Hmm. Yeah, um, and I agree. I think that like it's it's a very obvious and overt leaning into the ridiculousness of it in a way that I do think works. Yeah. And as you said, James, we do, or you kind of touched on this, but we do find out that they are impervious to gunfire, but they can be killed by uh, stabbing and with the trusty old radio in the bathtub move as well.
2: Yeah, they're not really consistent with, you know, how people die. No,
1: I think the rules so, are quite elastic on that.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the stabbing one is the one that I'm like... It, it, Really, just just a stabbing. I mean, how, how is that different from multiple bullets going through your body? Hmm. Did you notice know that no one is shot in the face? Uh, yeah, no, I guess so. not. Unless that's what happened to the, the hairy biker who then had you know additional, oh, maybe, maybe. But there's,
0: there's an incredible yeah. amount of squib work here, it's all on the body, and it's surprising to me that the only person dispatched with a headshot is a police officer in the kind of opening
1: massacre, I suppose. Yeah. A big exposition airdrop here mm. uh, from Randy. After all, this has kind of died down. We find out that the man in the video is uh, Arthur Loudermilk, mm-hmm. yes, uh, who she says is her father, and basically says that he, he kind of sounds like he was like an eccentric billionaire that used Dante Pharmaceuticals to kind of indulge his scientific and theoretical curiosities. Like he would just bankroll yep. this team of researchers to try all these incredibly outlandish things.
2: Let's take a moment to say uh, this is Vincent Price. In one of his last last speaking roles, anyway, where he's on camera, I know he was in Edward Scissorhands later on, but I don't think he has dialogue in that, does he? So yeah, he does. He has dialogue in Scissorhands, does he? Okay, a couple of yeah. lines, yeah. Um, but I mean, this is late on, and like especially in this video, he looks really ill, and I was just like, oh dear, you know, is this going to yeah. be, you know, quite grim? Uh, but thankfully, yeah, no, we see more of him later on. But um, yeah, again, for this time period, late eighties, to get Vincent Price in your film was, you know, great stuff because he pretty much retired at this point. I know he did the odd one. I know Tim Burton, you know, had to kind of beg him to come back in, and was that I think that was his last full role. I think he had something in an animation where he'd actually recorded it years before.
0: He'd worked with Tim Burton before on Vincent the short. Yeah, it's not so clear at this point, but later on when Vincent Price comes back into it, he's just so captivating. Like he's yeah. he's amazing.
2: Oh, he's he's again Mr. Exposition. You know, if you're going to drop your exposition bomb and explain the great big plan even though under scrutiny it doesn't really make a lot of sense if you get vincent price to do it people will buy it
1: certainly helps yeah (laughs) um so yeah, she basically says, like I say, that um, I kind of wish we'd seen or heard some more examples of the kind of mad things that he had Danny Pharmaceuticals do. <laughs> Sequel. Um, I, I would have been, I would have been very interested in hearing just a little bit more of the mad whims he'd had that the Bindiol to get kind of, over the years. But uh, yeah, so she talks about this and uh, talks about this being a fairly regular occurrence. Is quite reluctant to confront the possibility that he might have bankrolled an undead crime syndicate. <laughs>
2: But again, as, as we find out later on, she's kind of in it more than she gives away. So yeah, so, so maybe,
1: maybe this outward dismay is subterfuge.
2: See, Mitch, this is why you need to rewatch it. You know, you, you see everybody's yeah. performances in a new light. Layers,
1: layers. <laughs> Can I just
0: say, guys, we're coming on to my favourite scene without a doubt. thumb Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, before we get there, though, Treat Williams's change of clothes as well. You know, he starts off like at the beginning of the film. He's in this, you know, button-down suit. But then he's in this weird, I don't know what it's supposed to be, American 80s wear. is it? I mean, it's like what, a what sports, sports coat and Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, yeah. And again, later on, obviously, when he's kind of like burnt to a crisp, it almost turns kind of weird gothy because it all turns like black. Yeah. So he has these amazing kind of costume changes as the film goes on and he's obviously getting closer to death o'clock or whatever.
0: Mm, mm. The mirror zombie gag is pretty fun.
2: Yeah, again, well, I mean, it was Steve Johnson, who's a mm. you know, big 80s makeup guy, and he did some amazing effects in this, including, yeah, the scene that we're coming up to with the Chinatown scene, which is, yeah, just incredibly inventive mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, if you're going to have, you know, uh, a film where, you know, zombies come back or, you know, people come back, why not have animals or dead animals come back in from a, a Chinese deli, I guess it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah, Mitch, yeah. this is where this came up in Death Spa. Because there's a bit in Death Spa, remember, where the policeman gets killed in the freezer mm-hmm. and he gets attacked by the fish.
1: Ah, I got you. Yeah. Okay, I remember now, yeah. But yes, Andy, you are correct. Uh, our investigation carries us to Chinatown for, uh, yeah, a pretty interesting scene in a number of ways.
2: It would be good if you muted Joe Piscopo during this, because he's coming out with some you know, pretty racist stuff all the way through.
1: Uh, this scene.
2: So, if you could just get rid of his dialogue again, this would be a really effective kind of scene yeah, all
1: the way through. Yeah, I have written down here a lot of casual incidental racism here, but the creature effects are fun. Yeah.
2: You know uh, that Martin Freeman gif where, you know, it's him going like, calm down, calm down. Like, throughout watching the film, that's what I was doing to Joe Piscopo. I was just like, just turn it down a little bit, Joe. Just, just dial it back. Bit, a little bit more.
1: <laughs> but yeah they're looking to speak to um mr fool proprietor of this butcher
2: yeah he's key look he's from gremlins yeah oh, okay and uh, you've also got uh, professor tanaka a famous 80s wrestler from uh, Running Man. yeah he had um yeah big feud with hulk hogan back in the
1: day did not know that
2: and it, it's great when they actually dispatch him and they kill him joe piscopo just goes just one shot and treat williams comes back so with they can't all be zombies
1: yeah Classic. that's that's not bad
2: <laughs> so, such grudging respect
1: then. <laughs> I quite like the fact that uh, Theo, I actually wrote Theo creates a diversion and gets away but that was just when I thought all he was gonna do was fuck with the lights a bit and run away. Um, I think that diversion <laughs> is quite an understatement when you think about what he ends up doing. Again you've got all the things,
2: you've got like a killer pig, you've mm-hmm. got all these ducks, you've got the like the rib cage of death Which kind of comes out of the the giant freezer and tries to eat Treat Williams via their ribs, almost like the thing, you -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those scenes where, you know, like as a writer, you kind of go, okay, crazy shit happens, and then you pass it to, you know, your, your FX guy. And if your FX guy is Steve Johnson, he can go away and do everything. Now, there's a rumor, and I couldn't find anywhere that had been substantiated, that one of the bodies in the giant cow suit is Linear Quigley. Oh, really? I was I was hoping to find something online that can confirm that, but again, IMDb is not the most reliable of sources. So.
0: Treat Williams also seems to get attacked by a leather.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I I wondered about that. I mean, does it extend to individual body parts as well? Then at uh, Evil Dead, I guess.
0: But the, the, the giant battle against the carcass is pretty gross. But overall, the stakes feel quite low. Stakes, way. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I set them up and oh, he knocks them down. Wow!
2: Wow! You get—I mean, there, there's some good gags in there in terms of like when Tanaka uh, hacks in him with a hatchet, and it kind of—you mm, yeah, know—he he, he holds his hand up to kind of protect himself, and yeah, it does damage, but he's dead, so it doesn't matter. And again, she comes out with "Hey, you're hurt," and Treat comes back with "Lady, I'm fucking dead." So the—the mm. the only time he's kind of you know a little bit rude, but again, it's a great little line from him.
0: I mean, piscopo shoots that peg; it's fucking hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'll double down on that. The one-liners are so bad, like, you know, oh, I'm going to be a vegetarian, and oh, let's
1: dip it in some A1 sauce and all of this kind yeah, of
0: stuff. the it, delivery's it's shocking sh- as well. It's, it's not like, just yeah. that what he's saying's not funny. No. The delivery of it's bad. Aye.
1: Yeah. yeah, there's a teleprompter coldness to it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> obviously james when you were talking about a scene that matches the ridiculousness of opening scene this is demonstrably the scene you were talking about
2: oh no no we're, we're still getting to that <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
1: okay i was ready to concede defeat and it wasn't even your like argument winning i mean
2: no this would be like if the earlier scene was one. This is about a five, and yeah, I'm, I'm getting to what is definitely a nine. So that, that's coming up later.
1: Okay, okay, good. I'm kind of fascinated by where this is going, because I'm already, <laughs> I've am i already, for some reason, kind of run out of steam on remembering these things. Uh, at this point, street Williams picks a very inappropriate and inopportune time to start lamenting his wasted life. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, he, he reflects yeah. on his failings, and then he runs off very slowly.
2: Oh, in the There's... library, yeah, this was a bit of a... A weird one where even Treat Williams, this was not a good day for Treat on set, I don't think. Like It's, it's not his best work.
1: No, fair assessment, I would say.
2: He slowly jogs to the other side, and Piscopo runs after him and goes, hey, slow down there. It's just like, yeah. He what? says something like,
0: that was quite the chase. He's like, <laughs> no no it wasn't do you know
2: what it is andy i mean you'll know this they only had one day to shoot it you know Mm. it was late in the day and they were like they i'm sure they had an elaborate chase and they were like no you know what we're just gonna do a wide shot you just run from there to there done Yeah, one one end of the
0: library to not quite the other but uh, near (laughs) the end just round the corner
1: when they're heading back to Rebecca, I have written down that in the car, Bigelow disparages his ex-wife because of course he does. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's lines like that. He talks about ex-wife and he talks about a girlfriend. It's like, Joe, you don't really have a girlfriend, do you?
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's
2: all talk. It's, it's I think he's nothing but talk. Yeah, yeah yeah uh-huh i think but there's the, there's that weird flirtatious moment as well with treat and um randy james in the car and you know they're doing all that kind of banter and you know all, all of this and you're kind of like is she really up for a spot of necrophilia at this point is that is that what's happening here
0: it does feel a bit like it's going down that road uh as they're kind of approaching the mausoleum weirdly uh, uh, treat williams chooses that time to stop and admire a shooting star
2: <laughs> i mean yeah why not You know, ten to twelve hours,
0: why not? Yeah, exactly. No, this is but it's been revised down now, Jim. Remember it's eighty
2: four now. Oh yeah, 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 that's right.
1: Speaking of which, we are back to Rebecca for a refresher on the rules and the stakes. Yeah. Um, where um, everyone continues being incredibly blasé about the fact that people can be reincarnated. By the way, I think that there's a base level of just acceptance of that that I think is really strange throughout this entire thing. She basically says that yeah, he's got four more hours at this point, but she thinks that she can get him more time if he hangs around and lets her kind of do some work. He rejects this and he wants to get back on the revenge trail. Mm, yeah. Uh, she, she mm, says, yeah. She says she I mean, says she says something ridiculous at this point that made me laugh, and it was it's some something like you were out there for 10 years risking your neck and now you're dead and it's still not enough
2: i mean that's shakespeare if that's not a greek tragedy what what is mitch oscar gold
1: oscar gold (laughs) yeah loudermilk's tomb is the next spot on the tour here
0: yeah this seems so weird because it's like you've come to learn all this stuff about randy then very quickly it's just like see that thing we told you about randy that's not true um oh by the way that other thing that she's just told you about her being a drug addict. That's also not true. Yeah. Uh, and then by the see that all that other stuff, it's all lies. I'm dead.
2: And this is why I did the shortest synopsis possible because you either do a one line synopsis or you've got to get into all of this, or this person isn't who they seem they are, and they're not who they seem they are, and they're not who they seem they are either, so, yeah.
1: James, you have obviously listened to a few 30-second synopses, and you've understood the various ways they can go wrong, and I respect that.
2: (laughs) There you go, thank you. I mean, I'm not part of the 100% club, but, you know, I'll I'll get back, I'll get back. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right, though, Andy. We discovered that uh, she's not Loudermilk's real daughter, Randy James. They find a code in the tomb, and and a numeric code. This is the kind of piece of the puzzle that feels like the biggest stretch to me. But um, we'll get to that. I mean, apart from bodies coming back to life, you're fine with that part.
2: <laughs> He's no problem
1: with that. You know what? It was, it, 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 it was the happenstance of finding the numeric code that took me out of it. That was when it all got a bit silly. I was just like, bullshit, top it yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck this. I must admit, I didn't see it coming that a dog would have died. Yeah, uh, but did
2: you notice the really badly adr line? So... They, they walk up to the body in the fish tank and because the makeup job isn't that clear they ADR'd in the line oh no it's doug
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. watch it again watch it no again. i did i did notice that because 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 yeah. on first look uh for one thing i had him written down in my notes as alternating bigelow and joe piscopo so i'd forgotten that his name was doug but also like you say james the, the, the makeup job is not particularly clear so i had like this two-pronged like piling confusion upon confusion when they turned up and there was a dead body uh, submerged upside down because he's hanging upside down he's been submerged in a fish tank and um not an easy thing to set up no pretty elaborate quite a lot of showmanship involved but i looked at it and i was like oh who's that yeah. and then they approached the tank and they're like it's dog and i was like who the fuck is Doug?" <laughs> <laughs> i had in my
2: notes it's Doug." and then my my comment was is it though
1: is it yeah <laughs>
2: How sure can we be? I mean, you know, he's a white guy upside in the tank.
1: That's about as specific as I could have been as well.
0: Randy here responds to the death of Doug in a reasonable manner and immediately goes for a shower, yep. which I don't understand at all.
2: How many dead bodies have you discovered, Andy? Well, <laughs> do
0: you know Les Battlesby found one of the
1: Yorkshire Ripper's victims? Mm-hmm. That's a dark plot for Coronation Street. <laughs> <laughs> the, the actor. <laughs> And I'm uh, sure he needed a shower afterwards as well.
0: You probably wouldn't have the shower in the house with the body, like in the fish tank in the next room. I, I mean,
2: but the, the fish tank's not hooked up to the water system, so there's no problems there.
0: <laughs> oh, right, okay.
2: <laughs> Silly me. You're not commingling with the dead body water. <laughs> Thank God for that.
0: <laughs> See, when people fall into dead body water, <laughs> it stresses me out. Like, if they fall into a water, like in Portergeist, when she's in the the pool with her skeletons, I'm like,
1: ugh, black. blech. Um, you know
2: what there's not many podcasts I feel that we could have this conversation and it'd be a safe place
1: yes mm. uh-huh I think the same about the grave that's filling with muddy water in Drag Me to Hell oh, yeah. I think that's <laughs> that's really fucking gross in my opinion Randy yeah she confesses to being dead slash undead and uh, basically said that they would have helped her stay li- alive basically indefinitely for as long as she wanted to help them or could help them she confesses this and then dissolves at the single most dramatic moment possible I think that the effects of her kind of dissolving and decomposing are amazing up until the last second when her actual head has to disappear
2: <laughs> what's great though is in any other film which didn't have you know people coming back from the dead this probably would have led to a sex scene you know they've, they've had mm. a shower they've confessed you know the big thing he would have said it doesn't matter and you know they would have got busy to saxophone accompaniment yeah <laughs> but in this film mm. yeah you've got that amazing bit where the tear runs down her face and then her cheek runs down her face and yeah as you yeah. say I mean the effects are great right up until yeah, that. I'm sorry, uh, Roger. Please forgive me.
0: I'm just sitting here thinking, right? You're, you're saying, right? We've both revealed that we're, uh, we're dead. Let's have sex. I think there's going to be an erection issue.
2: <laughs> no, rigor mortis. Remember. <laughs>
1: Roger pieces together using the numeric code and uh, the letters on a telephone the mm-hmm. final piece of the puzzle to direct us to I was gonna say the final standoff I guess one of two sure. here but yeah he does figure out that the code corresponds to if you were to if you were to hammer these numbers in on like a Motorola razor then the words that would come up wow. would be body doc
0: other mobile devices are
1: available. <laughs> <laughs> Which he immediately takes to be the that he's being directed towards uh, McNabb. Because of his mm. registration plate. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. Did you notice when he gets to McNabb's office, McNabb's just sitting brushing his wig?
1: I mean, you've got to do it sometime.
2: <laughs> you can't do it during the day, Andy, you know, yeah. it's, it's the perfect time. Yeah, I call her at
0: this hour, I just got done brushing my wig. You do it before you leave the house. <laughs> you stick it on and groom it and then get it on about your day <laughs> mercifully oblivious to the fact that everyone knows you've got a ring. <laughs> Fair one.
1: Yeah, we basically, McNabb was kind of exposed as being kind of the ringleader here.
2: Yeah, again, it's not massively clear, is it? I mean, between McNabb Thule, and then Vinnie Price later on, you're kind of like, who's doing what now? But again, it, it's a film called Dead Heat, so just just go with it.
0: Well, McNabb seems to be the trigger man, because as far as I'm aware, he was responsible for reanimating the Cash and Dash gang, he was responsible for... He's the gloved hand that turns on the decompression chamber, the asphyxiation room. Um, So he seems to be the the man on the front lines, if you like.
2: And, of course, well, I mean, in his job then, he'd, he'd be able to, you know, kind of sign off on the certificates and whatever needed doing, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, Roger is apprehended here and thrown into an ambulance with a poor old dead Rebecca. Yeah, mm. that
2: was kind of such a throwaway kind of thing. But, again, at that point, obviously, you know, Doug's dead. Uh, Randy James is dead, and so now, yeah, Rebecca Smithers is, is is also dead. So you know he's at his lowest point. In a very doa esque kind of yeah, way. Yeah,
1: I think that um, nice. Rebecca has figured enough in this for you to be invested in her, and I think that the fact that her death is thrown off in such a kind of casual way is really quite effective.
2: And it's it's also really good in terms of it, it's the trigger then where he goes a little bit crazy, you know, by you know dislodging the whatever it is, you know, the morgue car. What are, what are they called? An ambulance? Because <laughs> they're, they're already dead. Jesus
1: Christ, man! It's 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 very pessimistic to call an ambulance a morgue car. <laughs>
2: no, but, no, <laughs> What's the thing that Quincy... Dri- it's the, the same car that Quincy drives? No,
0: no, 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 no. That's not... This is definitely an ambulance because it this says is it on ambulance. it.
1: Look, I'm not re-watching it to verify this either, right? So you can both just I stop it. No, you have to.
0: As, as far as I can tell, it's an ambulance. <laughs> yeah, he's had the ambulance reinforced in some kind of weird kind of steel prison.
1: Yeah. Basically, Roger has to get pretty resourceful if he's going to get out of this and um, basically turns the handbrake off And what is, again, just like quite a subtle practical effect but that de-gloving that almost happens is pretty cool yeah yeah, a lot of time for that
2: seeing yeah treat williams kind of lose his mind as the the car's kind of like you know careening down the hill again not really getting to do what treat williams gets to do a whole bunch of the times so yeah no i I was enjoying all of this bit
1: yeah i i i think that this is good it's 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 an incredible it's an incredibly reckless way to get out of there but desperate times desperate measures you know
2: Again, what's he got left to lose nothing
1: yeah ah yeah i mean like he he may as well cause the incidental deaths of multiple strangers (laughs)
2: Look, he's already killed all of his friends by investigating his own murder. It's
1: true. So. damage doesn't really come <laughs> into the equation at this point, does it? But he does escape, and he does head back to the hospital for what is actually the final showdown of the piece.
2: Oh, we we need to go back slightly though because we've missed the Shane Black cameo. So the cop in the glasses, wearing clearly the same glasses from Shane Black's appearance in Predator. So the scriptwriter for this was—is it Terry Black? Shane Black's brother, anyway so clearly terry like called in a favor and got a bizarre cameo from shane black as the police officer who treat williams is really polite to when he steals his bike so yeah the bizarre uh, shane black cameo for some reason. right okay but again he's got this great look now he's kind of deep fat fried Treat williams and the costume's gone a bit different he's got that half burnt face so it's kind of like two face meets lost boy uh, cyberpunk billy idol <laughs> sure sure
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i agree i think that like final form treat williams is pretty cool Uh, (laughs) but at this point uh mcnab and the reincarnated reanimated um loudermilk uh, they're kind of pitching the resurrection machine to a group of elderly millionaires if i i must admit if i was in the audience for this i'd be impressed i'd invest
2: yeah I love it there's some great lines like you know only the rich can afford to live forever or all this kind of stuff it's very yeah. very yeah. 80s very like they live you know reaganomics kind of stuff and i just thought because it's delivered by vincent price mm. it's a really good you know evil master plan monologue
1: yeah you know? and you know yeah very telling in the 80s yeah i, I also projected a commentary on classism onto this <laughs> you don't think it was intended. <laughs> um but i think yes yeah, it's, it's as good a point as any to talk about vincent price here because i think that he leans into the skid of this in terms of like the evilness of it and mm. the kind of machiavellian thing of the whole plan and like you say this rich versus poor evil versus good thing so wholeheartedly that i think like it does give the ending a bit of gravitas that maybe hasn't been there the entire time
2: oh i'm not sure about gravitas but it, it, it's good fun <laughs> yeah. he does this shit
0: with his eyes closed though
2: yeah
0: i mean at this stage anyway yeah, i suppose that's true however
1: two Williams fights his way in it's at this point where i kind of laughed at the, how he had the endless shootout with the dead henchmen that's the you bit i say mentioned... is
2: most ridiculous is the looney tunes just machine gun shootout where they're just firing bullets it, it that's the apex of like taking the mick out of 80s action films is where they just stand in front of each other and rather than trying to dodge or jump or anything like that they just unload clips of bullets into each does
1: other. does he basically like tug of war him into that pressure chamber room Kill him that way to be honest. Like, you know, I I kind of
2: peek out where where they're shooting at each other constantly. So,
0: I don't want to blow past Treat Williams' method of ingress into Dante Pharmaceuticals (laughs) where he crashes into a barrier so he can launch himself through the windows and kill the guards as he goes. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. you're right. We should, it's important that we don't blow past that because it's quite the entrance, isn't it? That's
0: how I enter any premises.
1: is that you arriving at any social event like, I was going to say this escalates very quickly it doesn't escalate at all it's already like running at 11 but the crossfire on the standoff kills most of the old rich people yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of them <laughs> perish at this point uh, McNabb reveals um, a test subject the test subject is Doug of course Joe Piscopo's character who has been sufficiently brain dead that when he was reanimated he has come back as kind of this very malleable henchman or at least he is for probably about 30 seconds
2: yeah I feel
0: Sorry. like the joke is that he's already brain dead yeah yeah yeah
2: okay, I'll go with that. okay yeah i mean there's not been a lot to prove otherwise he hasn't really done much police work in this film <laughs> i suppose that's true i mean you know bad puns yep plenty of that mm. you know offensive remarks sure police work any sort of intelligence not really
1: uh no
0: he's very much just tagged along and been a smart ass
1: yeah. I guess that's true Treat Williams basically Has to shout Three or four Things that they've said To each other Over the course of the film
2: I mean they, they must be partners For quite a while Right And it's yeah. the lipstick That's the thing That you know Wins them back over Not like memories about Oh remember that time We went out drinking or blah, Yeah blah, blah, blah. I was blah. best man At no. your wedding Yeah Remember the time, uh, you know, I'm helping you through therapy, and you know your imaginary girlfriends and wives and all of that. No, it's it's the time I wore lipstick earlier on in the film.
1: Um, McNab realizes that the jig is up at this point, and he kills himself to prevent a slow death. Basically,
2: isn't that super bleak though? Again, like you know, I was not like when I was a kid. I think it just went over my head. But rewatching it, I was like, whoa, okay, that went kind
1: of yeah. Uh huh.
0: Uh-huh. It's so abrupt as well. It's like so he's so quick yeah. about it. He's like, yeah. nah, nah, fuck you guys. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, I'm yeah. out.
1: Well, what I wrote down. For the next bit was that he kills himself like i say to kind of like for a quick escape but then they reincarnate him to death again
2: like reincarnate him once okay and then although this is never said earlier on they then figure what happens if you reincarnate him a second time right there's a line that, something about you know what happens if you put something in the microwave twice or whatever I, I, I can't remember the exact line do you want to see what happens if you reincarnate a body a second time and then pisco says not really so that's, yeah, they they reincarnate him and it's set up earlier on by Smithers is, you know, you can't just put them back in the microwave and reheat them or recharge. Yeah, she's like, whatever, she's like, so. it's not a
1: toaster oven or something like that.
2: But again, it's like See, super dark. I mean, you know, it's like you, you, you stole me my revenge. So I'm going to bring you back and then I'm going to kill you by, you know, like doing it to your own machine or whatever. So, yeah, again,
1: it's a tragedy.
0: You know, it's kind of a shame though, because I would have liked to have seen a montage of them continually bringing them back and killing (laughs) them in new ways.
1: That's that's what I thought was going to happen. I was quite up for this. (laughs) Save for the remake, Andy. Yeah, yeah, hey.
0: We've talked a lot about (laughs) Andy
1: Stu remakes recently. He's got some big ideas. This
0: feels like the only one that could potentially happen. (laughs) (laughs) Something that's so kind of low down the pecking order to begin with. I think you could get the right outweigh the films of possibility I,
2: you need to involve Mitch which definitely means a rewatch watch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> look just give it up then um uh, but yeah they, they destroy the machine denying louder eternal life as well mm-hmm. yeah presumably he's
0: just going to rot away as
1: well yeah he's just going to eventually die in actual causes
2: yeah i, I mean this is the kind of thing where you can probably only think, uh, afford Vinny price for one day so you're like vincent go stand over there out of shot with any other actors surrounding and we'll just do your close-ups and then we'll do like a, a wide shot and then we'll have we'll wobble the camera which will suggest that you die
1: yeah, yeah. sure Sure. But yeah, the machine's destroyed. The entire window for playing God in this way is over. As are the events of Dead Heat, really. They both now kind of just have to wait for death. They wander outside. We manage to squeeze in one more fairly gross misogynistic joke from Joe Piscopo, and we're out.
2: And (laughs) one half-decent line from Treat Williams, which is, um, this could be the end of a beautiful friendship. So, you know, again, throwing back to, you know, Casablanca and X.
1: And it it is quite a good parting line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you, you remember yes. the stinker from Piscopo because
2: it is so bad. Oh, God. But there is that little little glimmer of hope.
1: Yeah. Sure. But there's
0: not a glimmer of hope because it's quite sad when you th- if you think about the fact that Doug is then going to have to watch Roger die again. Because he's <laughs> considerably further ahead in the process.
2: Yeah, but again, if Doug's already brain dead, then you know, maybe it won't take that him that long.
1: I think if I was in their situation, And it was like my best pal or the person that I'd been like partnered with for 10 years or whatever. And we knew that we were both going to die. And you came out and you'd had this like you'd done this kind of save the day thing. I would just be like, right, let's just like you go one way. I'll go the other. And we'll just know that we both died. Let's not hang about until one of us dies.
2: I mean, they're heavily suggesting that, you know, they're walking to the pearly gates, isn't it? Because it's like a white filled smoky corridor. So I think we're supposed to just assume they're walking off to, I don't know, heaven, I guess. Although I don't imagine Piscopo will get far. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, are we to believe that Piscopo has done enough towards the end of this film to redeem what is presumably a lifetime of terrible behaviour and patterns of behaviour that are problematic?
2: Yeah, I'll- I think we've got to assume that Mark Goldblatt just wanted to finish the film. <laughs> in, in the quickest way possible. Yeah, but, uh, seems
0: reasonable. I'm
1: not, I'm not sure how I feel about getting into heaven after a lifetime of flippant remarks and parking tickets, though.
2: no again treat williams is the the
1: Ah, part. yeah my mistake my mistake with that though we are out on dead heat andy you first
0: yeah i had a lot of fun with this uh i think it's good fun i really do i don't think they like, like we've touched on many times i think there's a lot about it that hasn't aged well i don't particularly think a lot of it is well acted okay but it Kind of doesn't have to be. You know the kind of stuff I like, Mitch, and this is the kind of stuff I like. And despite myself, almost, I
1: like Dead Heat. Okay, that's your opinion and you're entitled to it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would recommend it. It's one of those ones where it's so undiscovered. I mean, thankfully, what was it, 88 or 101 put it out? 88, yeah. So 88 put it out, but before that, it was just not talked about. It was, it was one of those, you know, 80s films where even at the time, it didn't do well. It didn't do well at all at the time, and I think a lot of that was horror audiences didn't get the comedy or didn't appreciate the comedy, and comedy audiences weren't really looking for the the horror, and none of them knew what to do with like the mix out of an action movie. So mm. it didn't do well at the time. It lodged in the brains of you know us VHS kids who you kind of you know grew up with it, and then um, it's much better than it has any right to be, though.
1: <laughs> I've been exaggerating the extent to which I didn't like this through this, just kind of like just. For the sake of being uh, reactionary. contrary. I suppose, yeah, maybe to a certain extent. I had an okay time with this. I kind of I was braced for the worst, to be honest. uh because the premise sounds like something that i would absolutely hate and it is currently rocking a consistent um 11 on rotten tomatoes wow so um i was (laughs) i guess consistent in the sense that both the numbers are ones (laughs) (laughs) but um uh yeah i mean i thought this was okay i think there's there's elements of it that haven't held up well but i think that like i kind of feel like we say that about almost everything from this era that people choose now um and i kind of like uh, unless it's kind of like mickey rooney and breakfast at tiffany's level i kind of don't use it as a stick to beat films with right now now and I didn't do it here. Some of this works for me, some of it doesn't. Like I say, the practical effects are cool. I think performance-wise, like you say, it's ropey, but it doesn't really matter. What I would say is, and Andy, you'll know about this. I think that like there's a lot of the second act to this that is just the absolute bare bones of them investigating this and that involves an obscene amount of map zigzagging
2: okay, but that's yeah. that's also got to be you know to get me to the next set piece so you know get me to chinatown and and all the other things which is you know it's like how they, they do a jackie chan film is i've got five really good fights we need to get yeah we need to, to, get, get, yeah, to, yeah,
1: we to get, get to yeah i suppose it's just kind of it's just kind of connecting dots isn't it
0: yeah. also much i feel the nature of investigation requires a certain
1: level of zigzaggery <laughs> exactly yes i suppose it's true <laughs> Um, I just like I I don't like people going back to places where they've already been. <laughs>
2: right. Okay. <laughs> right. You want them to
1: get it all right on the field absolutely hundred percent. Yes. Exactly. You exactly. want them to
0: solve it all. So you want them to solve it all in the, the mausoleum or in Randy's house, like as if it's some kind of fucking escape.
1: Yes. Room. Exactly. Everyone has to solve everything in an infallible linear fashion. But the
2: problem <laughs> is they got Joe Piscopo, so that hampers them slightly. So they at least need to go to everywhere twice. <laughs>
1: No, this, like I say, this was all right. Uh, whether or not I'll revisit it again will probably be dependent on what happens the next time that I am at Andy's and I'm a bottle of wine deep. I get the impression that Andy will pounce on me being malleable at that point and probably blindside me with it somewhere in the future.
0: I'm, yeah, I'm glad that you're adding in that uh, I will pounce on you when you're malleable and make you watch a film. <laughs>
1: it's an important distinction yeah right enough yeah thanks yeah <laughs> um and james thanks for bringing it to the table
2: no you're welcome you're welcome i'm glad i kind of won you over uh,
1: i would now. say that you made a couple of good points i would say that you refuted yeah. a couple of things quite well didn't we bond over our mutual love of treat i think that that's fair yeah certainly that's without question uh-huh. i think that like that's that, that that's the great unifier here isn't it and vincent price and vincent price of course oh yeah obviously yeah James, it's a pretty weird time on the calendar to start talking about upcoming projects, things that you might have in mind, especially like, say, with everything that's going on with yourself at the moment. But anything Mad Science films related or film making related that you want to take a second to talk about?
2: Well, I mean we've got Little Monster, that's, that's out on Prime Video, so if anybody wants to catch that after they've watched Dead Heat, then go ahead, you know, go check it out mm-hmm. there. So we completed that actually about two years ago, mm-hmm. but we had another project uh, called uh, Emojis of Horror, oh, um, yeah. which I'm going to assume that you know, all, all your listeners know ABCs of death. So the tagline for emojis of horror is like ABCs of death, but stupider. So that was meant to be completed in terms of us shooting the wraparound segment. The weekend, as lockdown came in, that ruined our schedule. So that was supposed to be shot. So that's all just been put on hold. Uh, So we're just waiting for things to get a bit more sensible over here in Wales, and then we're going to shoot the the segment. We've got all the individual segments. It's just a wraparound bit that needs to be shot. And again, we're looking at basically giving that away for free. The idea for that is just you know highlight a lot of the talent that we work with on the indie scene. You know, lots of filmmakers you know across the UK and overseas who've who've contributed shorts to it, and to to, you know share our audience. God knows when you know (laughs) we're going to be in a sensible place to kind of you know shoot that wraparound. So hopefully yeah with
1: any luck and if people do want to keep up with how that's proceeding and everything else that you're up to then where can they get you
2: we are all over the internet so just look for uh mad science films on your facebooks and your twitters and your instagrams and all of that so mad science films
1: cool james thanks so much for taking the time to do this like i say um we had been planning this for longer than you realized so it's nice to have you here yeah. <laughs> i feel so loved
0: yeah thank you so much mate it's uh, it's uh, been a long me, time man. i've missed you
1: i've
2: still got that gift mate i was supposed to give you but i can't actually put in the post did i ever tell you what it was
0: yes you did
2: yeah uh, okay cool
0: <laughs> yeah i'm still very much looking forward to receiving it one day there once this go. is all cleared up maybe i'll, yeah. I'll head on down
1: So great to be joined by James this week.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've known James a while now uh, and he's just a lovely guy and he just loves horror like really. To his
1: bones. seems um, mad after all this time, and after him being such a regular contributor on the show and things like that, this is the first time I've actually spoken to him.
0: But actually, perhaps it's not a surprise, Mitch, that his 30-second uh, synopsis was so short and brief, given what we know about his pitching style. That's very
1: true, actually. I hadn't made that connection, but you're right, he always was one for the short and punchy. Say what you see. Yeah, yeah, Which was no. also what, yeah. Yeah, very much what he did with the synopsis. But we are out on another one yeah
0: it's been the first one for a while Mitch, that you weren't entirely so that's true
1: i've liked a lot of stuff recently which is not like me (laughs) um we will of course be back on monday with another minisode for you we'll be doing all the usual stuff on there we'll be taking a look at what we've been watching i will have dipped into the 90s side quest again will i have found something that's as much of a gem as the graveyard story i don't know
0: (laughs) Is that kind of what you're planning to do going forward, just dip into it that way?
1: I don't know. Maybe. Um, I, I think that I'll probably go for a couple more things that are bigger, but um, I think that the just arbitrarily picking something from the 90s from YouTube, uh, well, certainly it had glowing results with the Graveyard story. So who knows? Um, I'll maybe just keep my I'll keep my approach diverse and see what comes up.
0: Sure, sure, sure.
1: Don't but, of out. course, we will also be taking a look at your feedback, playing Mitch's pictures, and letting you know everything you need to know for next week's main episode. If you want to get in touch with us between now and then, or indeed whenever you feel like, there's loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at StrongViolentPC, and you can email scenes at gmail.com. Don't forget also, as of a couple of months ago, you can also interact with other listeners, and loads of you are, which is really fun, on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker.
0: Additionally, I'm going to say we do have a Patreon patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes and we've got loads of stuff on there loads of cool stuff there's already content out there and we would love for you to join us tears kicking off from two pounds so uh yeah yeah have a wee look if there's anything there that floats your boat please consider getting involved also something that you could do that doesn't have a financial impact on you and it's something we haven't mentioned for a while mitch yeah you could go on to itunes or whatever your preferred streaming platform is and drop us a like a follow Whatever the hell it is, because all that stuff also helps to raise the show's profile. Yeah,
1: you're right. We haven't actually solicited this in a while. But if you would like to hit a subscribe button on whatever your uh, platform of choice is, or if you can leave ratings, reviews, all that kind of thing, it does make a huge difference. And uh, yeah, that would be very cool indeed. But basically, if you want to support the show, the best way you can do it is keep listening. And we do love you all for that.
0: Yeah, like we've said a million times, the main episodes and the minisodes are always going to be free. So
1: yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of which, we will be back on Monday with another mini-sode. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.